0: Let's go ahead and turn to 1 Peter, chapter 2. 1 Peter, chapter 2. We're going to look today at verses 11 through 17. So let's read those together. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So Peter begins here what we're going to see moving on into chapter 4 actually, a discussion uh, on Christian conduct. He gives us insight. He We've seen already how he has referred to us as living stones that God is using to build together a holy temple or a house for himself as we corporately, the body of Christ, grow and mature together. So he's going to give us some insight, if you will, into the composition of the living stones, what we are made of or what we're to be made of makes us who we are. And so he's going to be talking about several subjects in this passage and over the next several weeks as we move from 2 all the way up into chapter 4. He's going to talk about authority to government as we see here in this section. Then later on to masters and servants, slaves or employers. It can really apply to any and all of that group. Wives to husbands and of one believer to another. And he's also going to discuss the suffering and persecution that will accompany a good life. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time in your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us, feed us, lead us, guide us, and give us insight as we study this passage together. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, beloved, or one translation says, dear Friends Agapatoi. You recognize the agape in there. It's uh, the same root in the Greek love, beloved, dear friends. And it reminds us really of what Jesus said to his disciples in John fifteen, fifteen, when he says I no longer call you servants, but friends. Peter's not talking down to his readers. He's writing to them as dear friends, as his beloved. And that's the heart of a true shepherd. Not to rule over. Jesus said, don't be like the pagans who rule over the people. Uh, Be the servant of all. And we see that in Peter here. Beloved, dear friends, sojourners or aliens. Paroikos, alien, sojourner. Those who live in a place that is not their home. And so he's referring to his readers as people who are living in a place that is not their home. And that is definitely one of the pitfalls we face as believers is that we can get too comfortable, too friendly with this world in which we are living. And as believers, we need to live our lives in such a way that we are cognizant and aware of the fact this is not our home. Where is our home? It's heaven. It's with God. Our home is where God is. Settlers, settlers having a house in a city where they are not citizens. Boy, that's interesting in light of all the recent hoopla about citizenry and illegal aliens and so forth. I don't know. I guess you could say as believers we're illegal aliens. Settlers having a house in a city where they are not citizens. But we also know it's possible to dwell in in a country where you're not a citizen, but you still have legal residency. There's different levels. But again, our citizenship as believers is in heaven. And being aware of that, thinking about that regularly will, will have an impact on how we think and how we live. But he's not done yet. Sojourners and Pilgrims, or as one translation says, strangers. What is a pilgrim or a stranger? Visitors staying a while in a foreign land. Do you get the picture here? Again, it's interesting in light of all the controversy these days about immigration and globalism versus nationalism, national sovereignty, borders, no borders. But you and I need to apply this in a spiritual manner to realize that our time here is temporary and our allegiance is to ultimately. Now again, Peter's going to talk about submission to earthly authority, but first he's establishing the fact that the ultimate authority is God and it's to Him that we owe our highest form of allegiance. Okay, beloved, sojourners, pilgrims, I beg you, he says. So you've got to believe that this is really, really important to Peter. And since he's writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's really important to God. In essence, you could say that God is begging us. And that's, that's a little hard to wrap your brain around, that God would beg us. And yet he does. That's how important this is. I beg you, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. One translation says sinful desires. Fleshly lusts, sinful desires. And that would be any desire that is contrary to what God desires. It's a pretty high standard, isn't it? Any desire that's contrary to what God desires. And by the way, all sin, when you get right down to it, Abstain from fleshly lusts or sinful desires. All sin is rooted in selfishness. Do you realize that? All sin is rooted in selfishness. It's all about me, what I want, what I desire, what makes me feel good, what makes me happy, regardless of how it impacts or affects anyone around me. And even... We, some people get into some pretty difficult and dire circumstances in life, and sometimes they use those situations and circumstances to justify things like stealing. Well, my family was starving, and, you know, that's a heart-wrenching and heartbreaking thing to deal with, and yet, when you steal, what you're saying is, my needs are more important than yours. There's no way you can get away from it. No matter how desperate your situation, whenever you sin, whenever you violate God's laws and man's laws, you're putting self before others. All sin is rooted and grounded in selfishness. I need, I want, and then sometimes that come, I need or want your wife, your husband, your car, your body. Get it? James 4.1 Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? And this is what Peter's talking about here. This war, this battle. But we must win. We must be successful with God's help, with the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word. He's begging us. Abstain from fleshly lusts. And again, we know how destructive they are. Now he talks about warring against the soul, and yes, that is the most significant aspect. It's what it does to you spiritually, but then there's the, the whole other side of the coin where the damage that it does to people physically, emotionally, chronic drug abuse. you know there was an old you know crack kills. We know where that leads: sexual promiscuity. I mean, the rise in sexually transmitted diseases today in our society is astronomical. So many of them, and many of them are severely damaging and some can be terminal, as we know, HIV being one of those. So ultimately our concern is, what is it doing to your soul? But will also destroy your body and your mind as well abstain from fleshly lusts and sinful desires which war against the soul. So Christians, we are to resist the sinward pull of those worldly desires which war against our spiritual lives. This is a real spiritual battle. I think we all know that. And the satanic slash demonic strategy is to attack believers at their weakest points. That's been true down through history. Satan attacks us where we are most vulnerable. That makes sense. I mean, when you're engaged in guerrilla warfare, how many are familiar with that term, guerrilla warfare? Prior to modern times, warfare was done like this. The opposing armies would all line up on the battlefield and shoot at each other. And lots of people would get killed. And so somewhere along the way they figured out, wait a minute, this isn't working too well. There's got to be a better way. And they actually, at least in part, learned guerrilla warfare from the Native Americans who knew the advantage of hiding behind a tree or climbing up in a tree and shooting down at your opponent. Satan employs guerrilla warfare there's a movie that I saw as, as, a, as a kid. I've seen it a number of times. I'll never forget it. Spencer Tracy, Northwest Passage. Have you ever seen that? It's a great movie. It's a classic. And uh, they are trying to find a Northwest Passage from the Great Lakes to the West Coast. or to the, Maybe it was from the East Coast to the Great Lakes. Somewhere in there. This is back in colonial times. They're wearing the buckskins and everything and they're tromping through the forests and they're being stalked. This is all from a very far away memory. So if it's not entirely accurate, please don't hold my feet to the fire. But I know that from what I recall, the stragglers were being picked off by the Indians. Somebody couldn't keep up with the pack. They had a foot injury or something and they're, they're, they're trudging along but we know that in guerrilla warfare they pick up they go for the weakest link the person who's most vulnerable, the person who perhaps is has been separated, and this is another I hammer on this almost every week the importance of being part of a local family of believers, a body of believers, a local church, because the easiest, quickest way to get picked off by the enemy is to be separated. And isolated. It's much harder for him to get you when you're in the pack, in a group. We're surrounding each other, upholding each other, protecting each other, praying for each other. Somebody who's out there trying to be the lone wolf, maverick, all by themselves Christian is the most vulnerable person in the world. And I bet you've witnessed it. You've known people like that. And you've seen the enemy pick them off. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, the, the byproduct is it'll kill you. Sin will kill you. John in 1 John chapter 5 talks about a sin that does not lead to death. And the reason he says that is because there's a lot of sin that does lead to death. If you are a chronic, habitual, crazy, radically fast driver... There's a good chance sooner or later it's going to kill you. Motorcycle. That guy Paul Walker from the Fast and Furious movies, who seemed to be actually quite a nice young man, but those movies are all about driving crazy fast, and he and his buddy were in some high-powered sports car and driving at a radically high rate of speed, crashed into a, a pole, I believe it was. The car blew up and killed them both. But the ultimate... Is the soul because that has to do with eternity. If you're a believer, now you can be stupid and dumb and do things to endanger yourself and maybe die an early death. I'm sure that's not pleasing to God. But if you are born again, spirit-filled Christian, you're going to go to heaven. But if you're not, then there's nothing to look forward to. And the things that war against our soul are these fleshly lust, these sinful desires. And the very things that our flesh so desperately desires are the things which will destroy our soul. If you want to look at it from the dietary point of view, now maybe you're different than me. Maybe you really crave broccoli and, you know, Brussels sprouts and soybeans and... If you do, God bless you. Those are not the things that I crave. And the very things that I crave when it comes to food, I did restrict myself this morning to a half a donut. The other half is waiting for me. The very things that I crave, if I indulge in them to the full extent that I would like to do so, it'll kill me. It'll kill you, right? The same thing is true in the spiritual world. Luke 9.25, Jesus says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? In other words, if someone spends their life pursuing these fleshly desires, the money, the fame, the power, All the things that go with it. Jesus says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? And we, you know, I forget the statistic, but it's absolutely crazy. I'm just going to, this may not be entirely accurate, but it's not that far off, that 90% of the world's wealth is in the hands of maybe a dozen people. If if that's not mind-blowing, I don't know what is. These globalist, international, banker, financiers, you know, they talk about share the wealth, you know, and let's have socialism and all this stuff, let's put everybody on a fixed income, which they're doing in some European nations already. That's so wonderful. They want to make sure everybody has income and can live. No, they want to totally control your life. They don't want you to be able to go out and make your own way, prosper. You know, it's very biblical that your prosperity is in direct proportion to your personal efforts, your own hard work. Socialism says just the opposite. Communism. And it discourages people from even attempting to accomplish anything because why bother? This guy can do nothing and he gets the same thing that I get and I can't get any more no matter what I do, so why try? Look at Venezuela. Look at the former Soviet Union. There are examples all over the world of the failure of that system. And I only mention that because it does play into this whole end-time scenario what they want to do is totally neuter and neutralize everyone. No more gender. It's happening. Female military personnel are being forced to take showers with so-called transgendered men who still have their male body parts. I mean, there are so many crazy, insane things going on. You probably know this. If you don't, you should. You should be paying attention. You should be aware because these are all signs that we are in the last days. They are experimenting with implantation of computer chips in human brains. There are people in Google, Facebook, these international, Microsoft. They have a very clearly stated goal to merge man and machine, and create cyborgs within many of our lifetimes here. I hadn't planned on talking about any of this, but I guess I just can't help it. And it all ties into this fleshly lusts, desires to make ourselves into God. And essentially if they can accomplish their goals of extending human life, their goal isn't to just extend it. Their goal is to create eternal life. Then they essentially would become God. That's not going to happen. God's not going to allow it. But there are a lot of really weird things that are happening as they move towards that goal That's what happens when you pursue your fleshly lusts and desires. It starts back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. It continues on with Cain slaying, killing his brother Abel. And you track it all the way through human history until now we are in the final moments of human history as we now know it. And it's all because of the pursuit. That's why why Peter begs us. Abstain. Stay away from these things. Guard your heart and your mind. Fight this battle. What does it profit to a man if he gains the whole world? Like a George Soros or a Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg or a Jeff Bezos. And by the way, more and more retail outlets are closing every day. I heard a rumor, I don't know if it's true, that Cottonwood Mall is on the verge of closing down completely. I walked in there a couple days ago. I went through the Sears store, which is already a ghost town. They're closing 48 more Sears stores across the country. The Sears outlet store on Coors Boulevard is now closed. No more cheap appliances. I walked through the Sears into the mall where the bungee jump is. Both of the stores on the left completely empty went into the Eddie Bow Wow Wow. I was the only one in there. Amazon. First, Walmart killed all the mom and pop shops. Now, Amazon is killing Walmart. And again, it's so wonderful because you can order online and everything's cheaper. By the way, I just read where the federal government pays $1.46 for every box shipped by Amazon. That's interesting. The federal government helping to finance what is supposed to be a private enterprise. But you see, soon there won't be any retail stores. You'll have to buy everything from Amazon and again, control. What you buy, where you buy it, how you receive it. Get it? Okay, remember you heard it here. Because it's real and it's happening. It's just like L.A. Marzulli says about the alien phenomenon, which they are demonic entities. His catchphrase is this alien resurgence in the last days, going back to Genesis chapter 6. He said it's real, it's burgeoning, and it's not going away. And that applies to all of the things we just talked about. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But if you don't realize that and you're trying to wrestle against flesh and blood, then you're not going to win the war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. These are not things. These are personages. These are entities demonic entities, principalities, powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, Satan and his minions, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. There are different levels of heaven. There's the first heaven, which we can look at and see. There's the third heaven, where God dwells. Paul talks about a man we believe... He's talking about himself who was caught up to the third heaven and saw paradise. In between, there is a second heaven and that's where these principalities and powers, these rulers of the darkness of this age dwell. And as we know, Satan goes before God to accuse the brethren. We know that these entities also come down into this realm although they are invisible most of the time. In the middle of the tribulation, Revelation chapter 12, Satan and these demonic entities, these principalities, these powers will be cast down to the earth. Boy, you don't want to be here for that. I will be watching from the balcony. And hopefully you will too. So we have three arenas of conflict that we deal with in this life as we battle against these fleshly desires these sinful desires. And you've heard it, it's the classic unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now the world and the devil really are connected because he is the prince of this world, but there is this world system, the philosophies of men, the worldly culture, which we have to battle against. It's constantly trying to suck us in, seduce us. It's more powerful and universal now than ever before thanks to movies, TV, satellites, Internet. People are bombarded. Our children, it pains me to think about all the stuff that our kids are bombarded with on a daily basis. And not just the kids, but many adults are indulging in it too. But our brains, God created are really like computers. Computers are just an imitation of the human brain. We know what happens when you feed stuff into the computer. You load it up with information. Ultimately, you have to defrag your hard drive. It gets too full of stuff, right? And if it gets corrupted with viruses and bad programs, then you're really in trouble. And people are cramming all this stuff into their brains every day, And the world is pumping it out at phenomenal rates like we've never known or never seen before. You can find any vile, disgusting, evil thing that you would ever want to find today on the Internet. The world, the flesh. Now, way before there was any Internet, any TV, any radio, any satellites, any mass communication, we had the good old flesh. Right? That's what devil, uh, the devil appealed to with Eve in the garden. He appealed to her flesh. Apparently, this fruit on the tree of life was very beautiful. That would be no surprise, right? Satan recognizes the optics. That's a new word being thrown around all the time. Bin- optics, it's the optics has to do with the eye, you know. Have you ever heard of an optical illusion? There's a lot of those around. But she sees it, and it's beautiful. And there's a, the flesh is always drawn and attracted to that which is beautiful on the outside, right? The devil recognizes that. He plays into it. The flesh. The desires of the flesh. Now God makes things beautiful because He's a wonderful, awesome Creator. But man in his fallen state takes that which is beautiful and corrupts it. Misuses it. Defiles it. And so we have this battle with the flesh and the only way we can ever hope To conquer the flesh is by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the power of God, the strength of God, the strength that we derive from studying His Word and allowing His Holy Spirit to implant that Word deep in our hearts and minds. That's our only defense. The truth, as we talked about last week. The world the flesh, and the devil. We just talked about him, what he did with Eve. And he's been doing it to people ever since. We see all three come into play when King David, hanging out at home when he should be out leading his troops into battle, but he's, he's comfortable, he's successful. Everybody thinks that that's the ultimate end game: to be comfortable, to be successful. You know that's when most people get into trouble? People who are struggling and suffering and fighting to make it don't ever have time to get into trouble. David had conquered all of his enemies. He had built his palace. He was prosperous, had several wives, lots of kids. He was the king of Israel. But he's hanging out at home. He's bored. Goes out onto his terrace looks down, and there's a beautiful young woman bathing. And by the way, in case you don't realize this, when people bathe, they usually do it without clothing on. So here comes the world, the flesh, and the devil after David. These are the things that we battle, and we better darn well realize it, recognize it, and be proactive, just like Peter begs us. And yet as we go through life we just get caught up in the everyday affairs of life and we get distracted we forget to read our bible we forget to pray it just happens we get busy and these things come are bombarding us from every direction I just have to say this I'm not going to name any names there's a person I won't even name the gender who's been attending this church for quite some time, Seemed to be really doing well, growing in the Lord, just really sweet spirit, just here within the last, I don't know, couple of weeks or so, they hauled off, married a non-believer, moved all the way across town and don't go to church anymore. How does that happen? Are you not listening? Are you not hearing? Do you not know what the Word of God says? If you don't fight this, you will die. And I don't mean just physically. Really? Don't be unequally yoked with the non-believer. What part of that do you not get? But your flesh says, I have to have someone. I can't be alone. I need sex. Let's just get real honest here. You need it so bad that you want to go to hell for it? Is that how badly you want it and you need it? Because that's what millions of people down through the centuries have done. They've sold their soul to the fires of hell for their fleshly desires. Are you willing to do that? Then get your act together, get your head on straight, and listen to God! I'm buzzing right now. And I think it's the Holy Spirit. We are in the age of deception. I don't think I would be exaggerating to say the vast majority of people in so-called Christian churches today do not know God and are not going to heaven. By their fruit, You shall know them. Jesus said it. I didn't. If you habitually, chronically, regularly disobey God, you are not a Christian and you're not going to heaven. Okay? You get that? That's a fact. All right? You can hate me for saying it. You can never come back here again. Doesn't change the fact that what I just said is absolutely true. That doesn't mean we won't struggle. We just talked about the struggle. The world, the flesh, the devil. It's a battle. Peter begs us abstain. As long as you're trying, as long as you're fighting, as long as you're calling on God, as long as you're confessing and repenting, you're on the right track. James says we all stumble in many ways. I'm not preaching the perfection of the saints in this life. It ain't going to happen. But that should be our goal. I got to tell you, I hate to admit this, I'm 64 now. I am more broken than I've ever been in my whole life. Man, I have never prayed so much about my sin as I do now. And when Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners, then I have my own little personal private arguments with Paul because I think I am. There's no problem with knowing and understanding how sinful you are. The problem is when you think you're not. I'm okay, you're okay. I love me, how about you? All right, let's move on. Verse 12. 1 Peter 2.12 Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by their good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. So not only is it important to abstain from the desires of the flesh for our own well-being... It's important in terms of our witness to the world. I don't think it's any mystery to any of us that the witness of Christ has been greatly damaged by the ungodly conduct of people in high places in the spiritual or religious world. Right? It gives them plenty of ammunition, plenty to point the finger at. In contrast to the sinful desires, we are to live good lives. So it's not just a matter of not doing bad things. It's also a matter of doing good things, having your conduct honorable. Live such good lives. Lives character. What does that mean? Lives characterized by good works, by good deeds and righteousness. And then he tells us specifically among the Gentiles or the pagans. You see, I know it's tempting. Believe me, I've had the thoughts. You want to just go off somewhere and hide. You want to, you know, move out into the country or into the forest, into the woods. Get away from it all. Get away from this crazy, weird world we live in. But God hasn't called us to live as hermits or monks. We're to separate ourselves from the world, yes. We talked about the world as one of our enemies. The world, the flesh, the devil. We are to separate ourselves in terms of not being friends with the world, not loving the world, not being like the world. But we are to be among the lost. That we might win some. How can we ever win any of them to Christ if we're not among them? John 17, 14 through 18. I've given them your word. This is Jesus. He's praying to the Father. I have given them your word, them being us, his followers. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Have you noticed the hatred being poured out upon true believers as they stand up for righteousness in our world today? It's absolute, pure hatred for anybody who invokes the name of the Lord God Most High, anybody who stands for what is godly and biblical and right, it's not just disagreement. It is hatred. And Jesus says, I've given them, Father, Your Word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. We're called the haters because we don't want to be like the world. If we don't embrace what they embrace, we are the haters. We're the racist, homophobe, Islamophobe, misogynist, xenophobe, on and on it goes. In fact, we've been called the terrorists. Worse than the the Islamic terrorists are the right-wing fundamentalist Christians. We're the worst terrorists of all according to the world. They are not of the world, Just as I, Jesus, am not of the world, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Why? Why won't you pray to take us out, Lord? I'm not going to do that, Jesus says, even though we all want Him to. (laughs) I do not pray, Father, that you would take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one, the world, the flesh, the devil. Protect them, Father. They need to be here. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by Your truth. Did I say last week, our most valuable resource is God's Word, the truth. Your Word is truth. And you know what? People mocking God, mocking His Word, denying it doesn't change the fact that it is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them. Now, how did God send Jesus into the world? I don't get over here very often. We'll come over here for a minute. How did God send Jesus into the world? He sent him into the world to be mocked, cursed, persecuted, humiliated, physically abused, and ultimately murdered. (laughs) <laughs> kind of wish we didn't talk about that, huh? Jesus says that He's sending us into the world even as the Father sent Him into the world. As you sent Me into the world, so also I also have sent them into the world. Wow. And yet, the the deception, the fallacy is that Oh, as Christians, everybody's going to like us and love us. And the moment we see that they don't, then we try to be something that they will like and love, you see? That's, that's not biblical. That's not godly. We don't act the way they want us to act so that they will like us. We act the way that God wants us to act, and Jesus says they're going to hate you. That's why I say I don't believe the vast majority of people today who identify as Christians truly are. They're not willing to be hated. If you want to follow God, you must be willing to be hated by this world and the people in it. Do you get that? I've seen so many people turn away from God because of persecution from their friends and family. Jesus warned about that. If that's you, you're not going to make it. You have to put God first. You have to put pleasing Him as your top priority. And you have to be willing to be hated by anyone and everyone to follow Christ. That doesn't mean you go out of your way to make people hate you. All you've got to do is act like Jesus. That's all it takes. And as Peter says, you know, what is it to your credit if you're persecuted for doing bad, for doing evil? That's not to your credit. You're you're credited for it when you do it in righteousness, when you're being righteous and people hate you. Having your conduct honorable, live such good lives among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, notice there's an important word here. It's the second word when. (laughs) When they speak against you as evildoers. It's not an if. It's only a matter of when. You better be ready. Some people are blown away. They can't handle it. They can't take it when people speak against you as an evildoer and you know in your heart of hearts all you're trying to do is follow God. In spite of our, quote, goodness, and we're not perfect, we have the righteousness of God that He places upon us, but when we do good things for Him in His name, That's what we're called to do. But in spite of our goodness, people will accuse us as believers of wrongdoing. Just like when we stand for the unborn and we're accused of being hurtful to women, to women's health, being anti-women because we don't want them to kill their babies. Then we are called evil. The important thing is to make sure that their accusations are baseless. They have no basis in fact. They can say whatever they want. Boy, we've seen that lately all over the the news, the fake news. People just making any kind of outlandish claim that they choose with no proof, no evidence, simply for the purpose of destroying people. Our president in particular. Lie after lie after lie. The important thing is to make sure that their accusations are baseless. That we are following Peter's directive here. We are abstaining from sinful desires. We're fighting against them. We have honorable conduct. We're living good lives. That when they speak against you as evildoers by your good works, in, in other words, in spite of what they're saying, They may glorify God in the day of visitation. Again, a good life is not just the absence of sin, but it's the presence of doing good, good works. There are sins of commission. There are sins of omission. You can commit a sin or you can also sin by not doing what you should be doing. Ephesians 2.10 We are His workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus. So, this is speaking of the new man, the new woman, the new birth. We're his workmanship. We have been recreated in Christ for good works. Some people think it's, the new birth is all about me. So, I can get everything that I've always wanted. I can have all my wants and needs met. And I can be a king's kid, you know, and I can name it and claim it and all that. No, 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 no. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So if we're not doing good works, we're not even doing what we were created for. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has already planned those good works for us in advance. He already knew who would come to Christ, who would embrace Him, who would follow Him, and He had a whole game plan laid out for your life. But you have to participate. Otherwise God's plan does not come to fruition because of your lack of participation. He will get His work done but not through you. He'll use someone else if you're not available, if you're not willing. It's not going to stop God. It's going to stop you. That they may glorify God in the day of visitation. So this is another important thing. You might be thinking, man, I've tried so hard to be a good witness. This person, there's no response. There's no change. There's no fruit. They'll glorify God. They may curse you. They may hate you. And then shock of shocks, when you go to heaven, there they are. That's a good thing. Don't be offended by that. Much of the fruit of our lives we will not see until eternity. Do you understand that? We have to realize that or we'll get discouraged. We'll want to give up because we don't see any results. We don't see any fruit. But in the day of visitation, in other words, when we see Jesus face to face, when we stand before Him, when He comes for us, then the day of visitation, you're going to see people there that you never even knew were saved because of your witness and your testimony. But you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to be willing to be obedient, to follow God, whether you see any visible results or not. In fact, oftentimes, what appear to be visible results, and I hate to keep harping on this, but the church, as a worldwide institution, we often measure what we consider to be fruit by numbers but often that which is visible isn't really the real fruit the real fruits what's going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm there's going to be people we expect to see that we won't when we get there and there's going to be people that we would have never expected to see in a million years and they're going to be there with their head on Jesus' breast and you're going to go, what? (laughs) And they're going to look at you and they're going to go, what? (laughs) The day of visitation. That's what it all comes down to. Everybody's living for the here and now. In the moment. But it's all about the day of visitation. He's making a list and he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Jesus Christ is coming to town. We will end with this verse. Matthew 5.16 Let your light... Now where does the light come from? Jesus. Jesus told us... First he says that he's the light of the world... And then he says, you're the light of the world. How did you get to be to the light of the world? Because his light, when you receive Christ, when you're born again by the Spirit of God, God's Spirit comes to live inside of you. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Without him, there is no light. Let your light so shine before men. Remember, Jesus says, don't hide it under a bushel. Put it up on top of the table where it can shine on all around. Let your light so shine before men. What are the things that prevent our light from shining? It's the very things Peter's been talking to us about. The lust of the flesh, the sinful desires, abstain from them. It will dim your light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. It may not be until that day of visitation. But we stand upon the truth of God's Word. We walk in obedience and we trust Him for the outcome. Amen? Let's stand. Father God... We come before you this morning with humble hearts, acknowledging that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And Lord, you graciously provided the way of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, without Jesus, we would have no hope. We would be lost forever, but we thank you that because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross of Calvary, we can have forgiveness of sin, we can have new birth, we can have eternal life, and we can, with your help, win the battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We pray for your strength continuously in our lives daily. we, We ask you to help us to reach out to you, not to forget about you, not to get too busy, too preoccupied, that we would daily come before you and receive nurture from your word, from your Holy Spirit, strength for today and for every day. And Father, we pray for anyone here today that doesn't know you, that this very day they would come and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. God, we pray for those with physical afflictions, that you would reach out your healing hand and touch those who are ailing, Bring your healing, Father, today. Bring the power of your Holy Spirit for those who need the empowering and the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pour out your Spirit here today, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. And Lord, help us to just to take these few moments, not to be in a hurry to get out of here, to wait upon you, to allow you to move in our midst. Thank you, God, for all that you are and all that you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.